Arnie Cunningham is a dweeb who is bullied by his classmates and psychologically manipulated by his overbearing mother. All he has is his best friend, football player Dennis. One day, Arnie sees a beat-up old Plymouth for sale, and something compels him to buy it. He fixes the car up, and suddenly he's confident, almost arrogant. It appears the car has a mind of its own, and when Arnie starts dating the new girl, the car takes matters into its own hands so it can have Arnie all to itself in the 1983 cult classic, Christine. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Caleb Jay. And this is Filmgasm. Welcome to the Filmgasm Podcast. This week we're celebrating another movie reaching a significant milestone, John Carpenter's Christine, which is hitting its 40th anniversary this year. The union of John Carpenter and Stephen King was bound to happen at some point, and the result was a modestly successful cult classic about a killer car. Um, was this your first time watching Christine? Yeah, it was actually. It's one of those that I've seen clips of, especially thanks to AMC's Fear Fest. They always do a Stephen King day, so it's like one of the ones they always put into the rotation. Hmm. But I never had a chance to really sit through it the whole way through. So this first time I was um, able to actually finally like watch it in, in its entirety. And I had a really good time with it. Um, I, I, I did not, I really under, underestimated how well to the combination of Stephen King and John Carpenter would be for this film. I mean, I, I stand by it that Carpenter is like one of America's greatest fucking directors of all time. Um, and severely underappreciated as years gone, in my opinion. Um, and his style mixed with King's style, especially when it comes to characters, just was such a match made in heaven. Um, the score, the, the car itself, like I have not, I've not read the book, but what I got in this still was like, the car was legitimately kind of terrifying. A lot of scenes like, you know, it, it had moments where I was like, Oh shit, how are you going to get away from this thing? It's coming after you. So yeah, I had a really good time with it. And um, I just want to do one quick shout out because we're talking about anniversaries. Um, another anniversary. I know we're not doing it because there's a whole other, just a packed month in October, but it's the 20th anniversary of House of Thousand Corpses. I'm mostly remembering that because I have my certified chicken box, fried chicken box replica from Fright Rags, um, <laughs> sitting in front of me right now. Um, but they are they had a screening for those who went to go see it on Sunday in theaters awesome they're doing another one on the 11th which is i believe when this episode actually traps so do yourself a favor get out there support uh and support the 20th anniversary of a really awesome just rob zombie film so i just want to do that quick shout out and now back to christine <laughs> nice yeah we 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 did house of a thousand corpses not too long ago on the old formatted show so we 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 you know we we showed the film some love. It was a long episode. We talked about Zombie and his plight in Hollywood, trying to get that movie made, mm -hmm. and uh, that was a fun one. I remember that was an enjoyable episode. Very enjoyable episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. We when we had to pick the lineup, we we went through a lot of possibilities, and uh, we ultimately decided to do stuff we hadn't talked about before or was you know the exorcist was kind of just like 50 years and a new one we had we were like we have to 
but this one yeah. next week's and then the following weeks are all n- new ish and pretty special. So yeah, we're looking forward to those. Um, so this was your first time, Christine. I I'd seen this a couple times. Um, I saw it before I read the book long time ago, back when I was just learning about John Carpenter and I thought it was okay. Um, then I read the book and it's pretty different. There's a lot that got cut out of the book, uh, admittedly for, I don't know for time because it's not a very long movie. So I don't really know why they decided to just erase a lot of the backstory and character development that appears in the book. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get to that in a, in a bit here, but uh, I've always enjoyed this movie. My grandpa is a big car guy and Christine's one of his favorite movie cars. So this is playing at my family's house a lot. For for a mo- car that kills people, like I'm going to say the 57 Plymouth Ferry is fucking beautiful. Yeah, it's a gorgeous car. <laughs> I no. somebody in our in our high school had a very similar looking car, and I thought that was so cool. Was I, don't say, I don't want to say your name because I don't want to you know shout out anybody who might not want to be shouted out. But I I saw her car in the parking lot and was like, "Is that your car?" And she was like, "Yeah, my dad gave it to me." And I'm like, "Holy shit, that's like it's Christine." It was a I don't know if it was a Plymouth, but but it was like a, a red old school, like with fins, 50s car. And yeah. I was like, holy shit, that's Christine. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. Well, say, have you ever been to like uh like the car shows with like the the guys who like all the people are say guys and gals who um like are like big into this and like they had they bring out their restored like classics? Um, I know growing up in Blanco, they had it. I forgot what they called it, but there was a car show every year they did. And I used to go to it just to look at the cars. And my God, man, like, I mean, they caught when I was watching this with Josh, like, they just don't make them like they used to. Um, I'm not even a huge car guy myself, but like, they just don't do it like they used to. Like, the the classics, especially from, I would say, like, the 50s and 60s and 70s, like, that, those three decades right there, he had some of the most, like, just, just sexy looking cars, in my opinion. Like, just goddamn, like, from the Mustangs to your Dodge, you know your Chargers to like all this, they just wow. And now you know everything's just assembly line. You know, just get it out there. Concepts, what's sexy, not the design. And they just don't look as nice anymore, in my opinion. Well, America used to make shit. Now we just don't. <laughs> like we just we lost our drive a long time ago. Now we just buy shit. Yeah, like we did the we lost our drive. See what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> that was. The- Pun not intended, but I'll accept it. Um, so my question to start things out, this movie's very much at its core about, you know, a young a teenager buying his first car. So I'm curious, what was your first car and how did you go about getting it? Mine was a 2004 Explorer, so nothing fancy. Um, <laughs> yeah. The radio lights to sometimes switch off of the fucking aux. I had to get one of those. They still, they still have them, but it's a, it was like a tape that had the aux attached to it. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they. I, I know they still make them a lot because a lot of the overcross don't have an aux and you had to do the tape thing. That's what I had for it and I'd love to switch off that to the radio which would fucking piss me off. There's no way to fix it. <laughs> um, But I got it from my aunt. She, um, my aunt, she's an anesthesiologist so um, uh, she regularly just spends money. Um, and um. When I was getting my license and stuff, her and my mom were talking about it and we're like, oh, she's like, I can give 
you know, Caleb, this card, she was looking at again. I think she got like herself like a, a fucking cheap, like a, like a Grand Cherokee or some shit, like some massive upgrade. Um, and so she handed it down to me. She was nice enough to give me brand new tires. I remember that was the, what actually like took me so long to get it. Was she's like, hey, I'm getting new tires for because the ones on there were pretty bad. Um, so that's what I had. And, you know, yeah, it wasn't a sleek car, but like it was my first car. It was a special place in my heart. Um, even with the annoying radio thing, it had, I, I do miss the storage I had in that thing. It had like, you know, a, a trunk for fucking days. Um, so it was nice. It served its purpose. It, the last I ever saw of it was when I uh, traded in at a, a Toyota over in Florida when I graduated college and got my uh, Corolla that I still have. Nice. Very nice. Um, I got mine on a bet. Um, I think it was junior year of high school. Um, I was on the UIL current issues and events team where we would take tests about what is happening in the news today and whoever scored the highest placed and won. It wasn't a very glamorous, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like debate or music, you know, it was like, we just took a test and then we got the results, but you know, it was, it was something, it was extracurricular. And, uh, I'm, we were, uh, it was regionals in um, Odessa, which is the most desolate, empty place I have ever been in my life. Yeah, it's over near West Texas, like <laughs> there's desolation out there, except for Lubbock, and that's about it. In yeah. I just kept I kept expecting to see you know Bubba and the family running after me with a chainsaw. You know, it's funny anytime people like mention that they're like, "Hey, isn't?" Like, especially because, like, I've seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre so much and we've grown up in that hill country. I know you're still in the hill country area. Yeah. That, like, whenever people are like, hey, that that's where you grew up, right? I'm like, okay, so the first one, yes. I was like, but if you actually pay attention in, like, three, no, because they're clearly in West Texas. Because there's a part where the hill country meets West Texas, so it kind of blends. I had to explain this when I was watching. Josh made the comment when we were watching House of Thousand Corpses in theater. He goes, yeah, that's your part. I was like, no, no, no. I was like, hill country? I was like, that's clearly where West and... And the whole country meets. I was like, that's mostly West Texas where Rob's always placing those films. And it's like, I realize how much I know too much about Texas and the geography. And I'm at that point where I can pinpoint like, no, that's not Hill Country. That's more West Texas. It's like, we're desolate, but not that desolate. Let's, let's calm down. That's kind of hilarious. Uh, but yeah, Odessa was so like, why the hell is this happening here? Uh so I made a bet with my mom. I told her like, hey, if we win, you have to buy me a car. And she was like, yeah, all right. If you win, I'll buy you a car. And I was like, ha, neat. I did not think we were going to win. And we fucking won. <laughs> we we got first place, me and my team. So I called my mom. I was like, hey, we won. <laughs> and when I got back, we went car shopping. And she got me this uh, white 2011 Hyundai Accent that clearly at one point used to be a rental car it had no bones uh, bells and whistles it didn't it had uh didn't have power windows i had to roll them up uh and it yeah. was yeah it was the most basic bare minimum car but you know it, it looked like a jelly bean it got me from point a to point b and that was my car all uh, through most of college and just just you know kind of tiny little basic sedan it was adorable it looked like a it was like a nurse's shoe if it was a car 
at least like with the Ford Explorer, it it looked like it could do a lot of stuff. Like, oh, you gotta you got that type of car to like, go over terrain. I'm like, no, it's from the year 2000. And when I had it, it was like 2010, 2011 when I got it. I'm like, this car looks like it can do things, but it's going to die on the hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was mine. There was no power in it at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, first you know, first car is important. You always remember your first car. And uh, unfortunately, yeah. ours were not a sentient 58 Plymouth Fury. No, yeah. Thank God. Yeah, it. I like, unless you're rich, your first car is never going to be like this snazzy fucking fancy ass, you know, like truck with all the bells and whistles. Like, it's going to be something that gets you point A to point B because your parents have a car they can get rid of and you got your license. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to work your way towards that one, you know? Yes, indeed. I keep getting like my I keep getting my mom's like my mom keeps buying a new car and then giving me her old car. That's happened twice now. Nice. So I haven't had to get a new car because I just keep getting handed like a fully paid off car, which I'm Honestly, not complaining about that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, mine's paid off. So I'm adamant about not getting a car immediately because I'm like, ah, mine's paid off. I have the title. It's mine. Yeah, I'm good. I'm in no rush. You know, I don't need I don't need a new car. I'm I just got to drive places. Yeah. Yeah. And not wreck. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay, Christine. Christine is based on the 1983 novel of the same name by Stephen King. And King's popularity was so insanely high at the time that the film went into production before the book was even released. They were just like, King's got a new one. And uh, whatever studio did this is like, we want it. We're taking it. We're making it. And King's like, don't you want to know what it's about? And they're like, no, we're good. <laughs> probably going to be scary so we'll take it <laughs> we have trust your name steve yeah Curse at that point cocaine. he was brand recognition straight up stephen yeah. king tm all they just went steve come here come here you see the baggie see the baggie steve there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know what that could have also been what happened here it's like I will I will give you this unfinished manuscript if you just give me a teenth. Come on, I need just a little bit. Come on, please. Come on, come on. What do you got? Come on, please. Here's the bag. Go write the next great American novel. We got a movie to make. <laughs> oh. Or you know what? Recount. Make like ten of them because it takes you like a weekend anyway. We got a movie to make. <laughs> Coke was like Stephen King's spinach, you know, like Popeye. He would snort it up, pass out, wake up three days later goddamn 300 page manuscript sitting next to his head he has no idea how it got there but he skims through it seems pretty good <laughs> gives it to his publisher Cujo <laughs> that's amazing if I snorted a whole bunch of coke and passed out over three days I might write something it's not going to be that good tell you that right now I wonder like the publisher's reaction when they heard that they're like wait this took you three days and you don't remember a look of it no they're like all right all right, let's read it. Let's give it a shot. And they really like, what the fuck? It's like he snorts so much coke, and like as he's about to pass out, he looks out the window, and there's like a dude walking a Saint Bernard, and it just stays in there. And then he wakes up. He's got Cujo. <laughs> like a Saint Bernard walks past, and like someone drives a Plymouth Fury past his window. He wakes, you know, he, he and it's just in there. Yeah. With and look, with that said, you know, I, I look, I re, with that said, like, even post like cocaine, Stephen King, 
It's like nothing strange. Like the guy still pumps them out. Like I don't know how he does it. Yeah, it's instead of three days now, it's like three months. But that's still an insanely good track record. You know, I mean, yeah, I can't write a four five hundred page book in three months. No, and the, the at his age, the sheer like how consistent he still is. I'm like, clearly you had like they talk about long form COVID. I think he had long form cocaine. It just hasn't really left. It's just driving him still. He's got just like half a gram just permanently lodged in his septum, and it's just fueling his creativity. It has been for 40 years. <laughs> he sneezes real hard one day, it comes out, and suddenly he retires. <laughs> uh, Elon Musk would be happy. Then he doesn't deal with him on Twitter anymore. <laughs> oh, I love King's Twitter. He doesn't give a fuck. He's in his 70s. Why should he? He's been the greatest writer alive since the 70s. He's still killing it. He could give a fuck. His legacy is intact. He doesn't care. Yeah. (laughs) Respect. Um, The book was named after Christine Romero, a wife of filmmaker George Romero. When they were working on Creepshow, he met Christine. She was really nice. He liked the name. Decided to keep it. That's sweet. And plus, you know, the fact that I don't think Romero stayed married to Christine. Well, you know, in the 80s, things were great. <laughs> For sure. The one who's handling everything is uh, Suzanne. Well, this is the book. This book's not called Suzanne, is it? It's called Christine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Hey, hey, George, you want to read my book? It's named after your ex-wife. Yeah, they, oh, wow. They divorced in 2010. Oh. So they stayed married from 1981 to 2010. It was his second wife. There was Nancy Romero. Good old Nancy. From 71 to 78. Then Christine from 81 to 2010. And then Suzanne in 2011 till the day he died. What? What happened? With Christine, I mean, that's a long marriage. It's a very long marriage. That's what, about 20 years? Over 20 years. Yeah. Almost 30. A shy, shy of 30. Yeah. Who, who, who cheated on who? <laughs> Whatever. When we're, when we cover Romero, we'll, we'll look into that. <laughs> right now we're talking King of Carpenter. Yes. Now <laughs> that we've had that aside. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, so in the book, it's very obvious and very, you know, part of the story that Christine is possessed by the spirit of its previous owner, Roland LeBay. And he did some like satanic ritual shit to live forever. And his spirit got attached to the car in the movie. The car's just alive and evil somehow. <laughs> it's, which I mean, it could, you know, it works, but there's a whole lot of backstory and like a whole other character that just gets completely erased in the translation. I I can see why they probably cut that out. There's probably like, look, let's just... Tra- I'm sure it was more like, let's streamline this a bit. And I, I do think like in one area, like, well, obviously, like, I'm sure King, obviously, I've again, I haven't read the book. King made that aspect of it terrifying. I don't know how well that would have translated into a movie. Whereas the idea of just a car being alive and evil and not really knowing what the hell's going on kind of makes it creepy, especially in the hands of John Carpenter. He knew how to kind of make that work and make it creepy. 
Um, I don't know how well, it, and not even because like it would have been hokey, but time, I think, being a big thing, like how well would you have been able to really weave that story throughout um, throughout this movie? Fair enough. Uh, there's definitely a, a a persistent pacing problem with uh, King adaptations that they don't all have, but most of them do have, where it's just shit happens way too quickly because we don't have the, you know, we don't have the book to establish things. We just have to get shit out there. And I think Pet Cemetery is the guiltiest of these where like they just move there and then the cat's dead in like a day. And it's like we had a lot of time to get used to these characters before shit started happening in the book. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why for me, I've just don't take Sub King adaptations because at the end of the day, we're never going to get a true like to the core unless they do a show, honestly, or unless you're fucking Mike Flanagan, apparently. Um, Guy, oh god, his Dark Tower. Oh, I cannot wait for his take on that. Um, especially now the writer strike is over, which means he can start working on it again. Mm. Um, I, I, it's why I usually don't really try. I don't go in these like beholden to the book because I know like no matter what, it's not going to be the book because King spent so much time giving you like getting you hooked onto these characters before anything goes down. Um. So for me, I'm like, if they can get the essence of it right and the and 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 the corridor right, and I'm so invested for the most part, I'm I'm good. Um, obviously, there's plenty of adaptations that failed miserably on that front. We kind of saw, and especially more recent ones with the Firestarter remake and you know Pet Cemetery remake, which I didn't think it was as awful as they were made out to be, but the marketing ruined a twist, and even watching what they did with that twist wasn't really that satisfying. Um, because I actually don't mind the original Pet Cemetery. No, it's not the book. Like remotely, not the book. I can still go back and enjoy the original Pet Cemetery. I don't put it in the echelon of fucking you know like greatest King adaptations of all time. But I can go back to and enjoy it. Um, for what it is, I I get that. But also, I I look at movies like Gerald's Game and It and Misery and. Uh, Shawshank and the Green Mile and I see that it can be done so when it doesn't happen I'm just I'm even more disappointed because I know that in the right hands you can translate very well it is possible so I I just I don't like when they just and I don't I don't count Christine as one of those that just like abandoned the core concept and did its own thing that I can't fucking stand this did not happen in this case this was just like there's a lot here Let's trim it down, make it palatable, and I think it's a decent flick. Yeah, and I think that's why I like this one so much. It kept the essence of like what I feel from the book alive, but they just said, "Hey, what can we trim out to fit into you know a film that at most will be two hours?" Like because we we can't do inner monologues. No one's going to want to hear inner monologues coming from a car. That's why they did the smart move of having the radio. Fucking not well, that. I- not that the car had been in her monologues in the novel, I'm sure it didn't. No. But like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, hence why they did like the radio thing with having the radio kind of play and it be its way of communicating. They did a good job of yeah, streamlining but keeping the essence of the story alive. And to me, I think what makes this film work is that I kind of what I said top Carpenter just seemed to really understand what made King work, and that is you spend a good amount of time with these characters before weird shit happens, minus the cold, essentially the cold open. Um and that is like to me right there, understanding the essence of King is you're giving me time with these characters to care about these characters, to actually 
have some stakes in their friendship and all that stuff mixed with the classic, you know, King bullies and all that stuff. Um, his bullies are sadistic motherfuckers, aren't they? Like it's really, it's never just like, you know, nerd. It's always like, I'm going to mutilate you with this knife because you inconvenienced me once. Yeah. His, his bullies are horrifying. <laughs> um, Oh, yeah. so Henry Bowers probably takes the cake, but, uh, um, yeah, I think that's what I liked about this adaptation most is that like it understood what make King what makes King work and was able to translate it into a film. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh well, how did Christine come about? Producer Richard Kobritz had the option of adapting either Cujo or Christine, and he chose Christine because he felt that it was a celebration of America's obsession with the motor car. And the fact that he said motor car tells me he is an old motherfucker. Oh, yeah. He worked on that Ford assembly line back in the day. (laughs) Uh, His first choice to direct was John Carpenter. But at the time, he was unavailable. Carpenter was committed to directing Firestarter, another King adaptation, and also an adaptation of the 1980 novel The Ninja. Both were delayed, and Carpenter ended up being dropped from both projects and was now available for Christine. Uh... Firestarter still kind of maintains a, a Carpenter vibe that I, I found unusual, but you can tell that he, you know, he was not behind the camera. Yeah. And I don't know whatever happened to the ninja. I don't think anything did. I don't think anything did at all. No. Uh, Carpenter was very upfront that he had no personal attachment to Christine. He directed it solely for the money. His previous film, The Thing, had performed poorly at the box office and he needed a surefire win. The film that is arguably his masterpiece was a huge box office failure and had Hollywood questioning his validity as a director. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's always fine when you like... When people talk about like, you know, you see Carpenter in interviews and how kind of like almost elusive he is in interviews and like he just doesn't ever want to talk about his movies. And like at first, I'm being like, kind of seems like a dick. But as I've like gotten older and done more research on his career and stuff, like I get it, man. With how much he got burnt by working with these studios, I'd be like, can we just not talk about movies? Let's talk about ba- the things he loves basketball, video games. Can we talk about that stuff? Music, like yeah. things that haven't burnt me. <laughs> It sucks because his movies, you know, so many of them were hits after the fact. I think like Halloween's like the only like instant box office success he actually had. Yeah. Like, everything else was like, you know, Escape from New York, people found later, The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, They, they Live. They were all movies that people eventually found on VHS and were like, these fucking rule. But he couldn't do anything with that now, could he? No. It sucks. Um, yeah. And that's why he, you know, he is what he is in interviews. Um, and I look the man's in the seventies. I don't fucking blame him. Let him smoke his weed, play his video games, and watch his basketball, and make his music. Fuck it. He is um, still fucking killing it with music. I I picked up his recent album, Lost Themes Three, that he did with his son and his godson. Beautiful work. God damn, nobody plays a synth like he does. No, he is a fucking maestro at that. But his, his anthology two just got released, where he did like revamps of a lot more. Oh, I. Yeah. I haven't listened to it yet, but I got it on my Spotify because I was like, oh, I gotta see if I can get this. Check out Chariots of Pumpkins. It's the best version of that ever. It's oh god, it was so cool. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to listen to that. Um, I do want to say with that though, I don't want to end on a two negative note here with Carpenter directing wise. Um, 
He is coming out. Nice little shout out here for current modern spooky season. Um, coming out on Peacock with John Carpenter's Suburban Screams. He is producing it. He is directing an episode. I believe he directed it from home because that was one of his conditions. Um, <laughs> if anybody could could swing that, it's Carpenter. He's like, yeah, I'll do it, but I don't want to try that hard. Yeah, I think literally like someone like once asked him, was like, because he's been asked a lot recently, like, hey, would you ever actually start coming back directing? And I think his thing was like, I don't want to travel and I'm not missing my Knicks or whatever basketball team he loves. He's like, I'm not. Yeah, he's like, I'm not. I'm not directing during the basketball season. <laughs> he's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. And he doesn't fucking care because he's had so many failures in his eyes, which is a damn shame. Like I, I wish Hollywood hadn't broken John Carpenter. Where would he be if like the thing and escape and all that like had been super huge hits? Like where would he be today? Oh, I I nah, it's it's a thing we'll never know, man. Like I, I wish. I'll give him credit. He is very uh, at least affable when he, he 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 usually agrees to do like documentaries and stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, he's popped up in the search Darkness documentaries and tons of other stuff. Um, so he's very at least like willing to pop up on things and talk about the films. I'm sure it's because they they say they're going to pay him, but that's not the point. <laughs> they pay him and they film it when there's not a game on. Yeah, and it's in the comfort <laughs> of his home. Because if you ever actually pay attention to the interviews, he's clearly at home, and I respect it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you know what? I'm 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 happy that he's at least doing something. You know, he's not just like reclusive, refusing to ever set foot in the industry. He's, you know, there was a time where it looked like that was going to happen. But thankfully, that did not happen. And, you know, he, we've been getting a lot of really amazing music over the past few years. And now this cool potential new series. Yeah. So, hey, if you guys care, I'm definitely going to watch it just because his name's attached and he's directing an episode. And I'm going to support his, even if it's a fucking like essentially a true crime type of show. I don't give a shit. It's him coming back. In some capacity, and I'll take it. Same, same. I'm just, I'm just happy he's still with us and still working. Yeah, and you know what, John? You keep being the cranky old man you are. I respect it. Yeah, I respect the grind. I respect the effort. You know, you're a badass. Keep killing it. Yeah, and you are adamant about staying home, and I have nothing but goddamn respect. Yeah, I love it. If I could tell my job, like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it, but I'm not leaving my apartment. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be awesome. <laughs> God, I'll do it, but I'm not missing the new season of Stranger Things, so decide. <laughs> God, I want clout. I want clout so bad. <laughs> God, that must be nice. It must be. It must be. Um, Columbia Pictures wanted Brooke Shields as Lee, uh, largely due to her recent success in The Blue Lagoon, and then wanted Scott Bayo as Arnie. The filmmaker said no. Carpenter was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> and no. Um... <laughs> I bet that's exactly what he did. Like, no, my movie, my cast, <laughs> my movie. I'm doing what I want. I'm John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, they wanted unknowns. Like they wanted, you know, they didn't want faces distracting from, you know, the car. Um, Kevin Bacon auditioned as well, but uh, he dropped out when he was offered the lead in Footloose. So no Baconator this time. Now he had to go save a town from dancing. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, good career move, Kev. <laughs> Definitely. 
Proud of you, Kev Dog. <laughs> the leads went to Keith Gordon, John Stockwell, and Alexandra Paul, and they're all really pretty good. Uh, although John Stockwell loses points because he gave us that god awful Teresa's movie later, and I will not forgive him for that. Is that the one with the on vacation? It was like released in the height of the torture porn era. Yeah, they're like they go yeah. to a beach and they get mugged, and they're like, "We lost all of our stuff. Better go cave diving." And then they get like arrested. They get captured by like organ don't organ thieves or something. I don't know. It's basically like, don't you travel outside the country, or bad people are gonna get you. And I yeah, so not nearly as good as you know the saw and the hostels at that time. And saw is not saw is not the. Saw's so going to get you within the country lines. Yeah, country lines in Mexico. True, but in Mexico, in Mexico, you try to get Jigsaw, Jigsaw's going to get you harder. <laughs> Those are the you, you, you try to get Jigsaw, he gets you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Christine itself is depicted, as it is in the book, as a red 1958 Plymouth Fury. Beautiful car. Rare car, as they learned when they tried to get one for production. Basically, they built a, m- a bunch of these motherfuckers from pieces of other different Plymouths and had uh, 23 different cars. Jesus Christ. It's like a Fast and Furious movie. How can we just have as many cars to fucking destroy as we can? Well, chiefly, the 58 Plymouth was never actually available in red. It was only ever sold in white. The red is a custom job in the book and the movie. Uh, okay. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I read apparently they uh they charge extra on like insurance or something if you have a red car. Oh, I know. I have a red car. Yeah, I never knew that because I, for those who don't know, my favorite color is red, so I've always wanted a red car. But then I heard that they do that to red cars because I guess it's like they do of like you're more susceptible at getting hit because of the brightness of your car. It's flashy. They think it's arrogant. They think of like, you know, the chick in the Ferrari and vacation or some shit like that. Like a red car means trouble ahead. I don't know. I think it's stupid. You know, I've been in car accidents where I wasn't in a red car. <laughs> it is possible. Although the only time I ever got pulled over was in my red car. So I get it. <laughs> um. The car is largely portrayed by a 57 Plymouth Fury, as well as a Plymouth Belvedere and a Plymouth Savoy. So they just worked with that. 15% of the film's budget went to the cars. Jesus. <laughs> right. You know what? Hey, as we've kind of seen what first starts chronicling the, the year in film, it's good knowing the budget went to something that actually looked in looking really good in the film. Yeah. It didn't go to a computer making a CGI car look alike. It went to the scouts going and finding limits and bring them back to John. <laughs> yeah. And John probably being very just non-flippant, just being very flippant and nonchalant about the whole thing too. That's yeah, like, sure. It'll work car, car, car. That one's blue. I don't fuck. We'll, we'll, we'll edit it in post car. <laughs> That's a motorcycle. Get the fuck out of here. Car. <laughs> His assistant comes, hey, John, here's your check. For what? Halloween? Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> Court side, here I come. <laughs> It'll be a good season this year. <laughs> oh, so they were able to build 23 different cars, all in various states of disrepair, and all but two were completely destroyed by the end of filming. 
Only two Christines survived production. Yeah, um, you know someone has those somewhere in their fucking collection. Oh, I know exactly what happened to those two cars. One of them was rescued from the junkyard by private collector Bill Gibson of Pensacola. He literally found it in a junkyard. Like, the beginning of Christine happened to this guy. <laughs> oh, fuck. If you found this car in a in a junkyard, I would you would you think like no fucking way I'm not touching that or that's coming home with me? The initial I mean, no way fucking way. I'm like, what are you kidding? It's a goddamn movie. I'm getting this car and I'm taking it home. <laughs> so that was one of them, and the other was sold at an auto auction in 2020, also in Florida. So both Christines are in Florida. That's kind of fitting because you know King lives in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> For those who think, doesn't he live in Maine? No, he did what every old person who lives in the northern state does, and he moved to Florida. He probably got tired of people poking at his gate and being like, I'm your number one fan, but I'm not crazy like that one chick, I promise. As they're at the gate. <laughs> yeah, as they're at his house. Yeah. Not a, great way to, not a great way to prove to somebody you're crazy. No, I think they actually, apparently, I guess I think the house has been like, his house has been the reserved museum or some shit like that. Yeah. You get tours and whatnot. Yeah, just some dude's house. I mean, it's not like it's going to be like the fucking Adams family mansion. Like it's it's, it's just Stephen King's Wait, house. He's still, I, I, <laughs> I hear you, but if I was in Maine, I totally own that tour. Oh, me too, one hundred percent. But I'm just going to go in, not expecting it to be like you know a haunted mansion. It's just some guy named Steve. Oh house. yeah, I mean the Chaspers like is Steve home? <laughs> Are we going to see the man himself? <laughs> Oh God, I'm surprised. Like Stephen King doesn't have one of these. Like, I, I, if I'm the guy who created Christine, you bet your ass I'm driving Christine. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised too. Not unless like I I've always kind of got the feeling his books the guy likes his cars. So I wonder if that was just like a car from his youth that he just really liked. No, he um he picked the Plymouth because it was a car that didn't have a story. Like there was no like. He mentioned he brought up like the Thunderbird and how that's got like its own legacy, but like there was nothing attached to the Plymouth, so he wanted uh, to do something with that. Okay, that's he fair. certainly did. No, Plymouth is now synonymous with killer car, so way to go. Good for him. <laughs> not not great for Plymouth, but <laughs> I mean, is that even around anymore? So Plymouth even around anymore? I, no, it's not. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I would love if like this is what drove them out of business because like everyone thought that their cars killed. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't buy it. It's going to kill me. <laughs> uh so what did King think? Well, he didn't care for this. Uh unfortunate. So he um he mentioned Christine as one of two film adaptations of his work that had bored him. Uh the other being The Shining. This is when he was promoting Dreamcatcher in 2003, a utter failure of a movie that nobody really. Yeah. Liked. Yeah. Um, with the ass, the ass worms, as I like, like to call them. I haven't seen it and I haven't read the book because I've heard both are terrible. So I just haven't gotten around to it. I've seen the movie like twice. It was in an old collection I used to have and I got all the all the good films in that collection. Upgraded to Blu-ray. Then I got rid of the collection. In the film, the not good ones that were in it. King can't quite get aliens, can he? No. Nah. It's a shame. No. I couldn't uh, I didn't really get that far into the Tommy knockers before I was like, this isn't very good. And then I found out that's another Coke binge book. So that's probably why. 
Jesus God. Um, <laughs> I look, I'll say, look, all joking aside with Stephen King, like I'll say it right now. I've usually and he has every right, obviously, to his opinion. It's his creative work, it's his stuff. He has every right to say how he fucking feels about it. And I'm not saying he's wrong. But I am saying that I've almost never agreed with his take on his adapted movies. This is the same guy that really tiled the Pet Cemetery remake. That's really tiled the Dark Tower adaptation. Let's both of those legs he speaks for themselves. I'm just saying he's a, he is it's his opinion. I just generally don't agree with his take on his his opinions on his adapted works. It's hard to kind of take a stance on this because like on one hand, like I like the movie, but on the other hand, like he would know. <laughs> so like it's hard to be like, no, Steve, you're wrong. It's a good movie. And that's why I went with the diplomatic approach because I'm like, I get it. He did write the book. He he knows this. But I've never generally agreed with his takes on his adapted works. Like the ones he said are boring are usually the ones I like. But then the ones he's like, these are really good. I'm like, how much did they pay you after I watched the movie? I'm like, did they pay you to mm-hmm. say that, bud? Probably, yes. Well, here's the here's the full quote of what he said when he was uh promoting Dreamcatcher and was asked about Christine. He said, I may just be the most adapted novelist in modern times. And I don't say that with pride so much as with a kind of stunned amusement. Several honorable adaptations have come from this 30-year spew of celluloid. <laughs> and the best of those have had few of the elements I'm best known for. Science fiction, fantasy, the supernatural, and pure gross-out moments. The books that do have those elements have, by and large, become films that are either forgettable or outright embarrassing. Others, I'm thinking chiefly of Christine and Stanley Kubrick's take on The Shining, should have been good, but just, well, they just aren't. They're actually sort of boring. Speaking for myself, I'd rather have bad than boring. Damn, man. (laughs) I I agree. I'd rather watch a bad movie than a boring movie, but I don't think Christine or The Shining are are either either one of those. Yeah, I mean, Grant, we know why he famously, like, absolutely hates the shining um i would i would respect it a lot more if he wasn't saying this while promoting Dreamcatcher. yeah if he was promoting anything else yeah. but it, like it's like look i've i gave Dreamcatcher two chances and it's not a good movie so i don't know what you're trying to prove here um and mm. you know like the, the what we thought was gonna be a king renaissance didn't exactly happen um adapted works for us. I'm not saying he like went away. Well, I mean, he did after his accident, then came back. Um, yeah, I don't think I picked these two. I don't think I picked those two. It, uh, Shining is a great film. It is a terrible adaptation. I've always stood by that. Um, and this was before I know Mick Garris is all the time in his own postmortem, uh, podcast. I, I didn't know he said the same thing, but I listened to it, but I've always had that stance of like terrible adaptation, great fucking movie um and this was also good i'm not gonna say it's great but it was good like it i i truly think that the melding of king and carpenter works very well so i i personally sorry steven i disagree if i had to pick the two like worst adaptations of his work the two that i just absolutely despise and are never going back to it is the dark tower and 2022's firestarter 
Everything else I can kind of work with, but those two are dog shit. Even um, fucking Lawnmower Man. I I kind of like the Lawnmower Man for what it was. I was into it. It was a terrible adaptation, but you know, for a nineteen ninety one, I think ninety two, uh, like video game esque movie. It was weird, but I was I wasn't bored. That's for sure. <laughs> Fair enough. Sorry, I don't mean to look down, but my I have the ring up, and someone put like scary looking cat in the neighborhood. Has anyone seen him? Like, is there a picture? And there was no picture. So, I love scary- if it was like a picture of Cat Stevens. <laughs> look at Ted all the Nugent. <laughs> Ted Nugent just singing "Cat Scratch Fever" still. Oh, I almost did the riff, but I'm not. The last thing I want to do is get copyright stricken by Ted Fucking Nugent. <laughs> I want to sing it to him, like, I don't want him messing with us. I don't want him getting us in a stranglehold. <laughs> I still got one. Um, yeah. So I mean, you know, when you're when you're an author, when you're a writer and you've created so many iconic stories, and people provide their take on those stories in, you know, a cinematic fashion, it's not all, you know, they're not the same person, they're not the same brain. It's not going to be the same thing. And there's going to be a lot of you know, I wouldn't have done it that way, or you got that character wrong, or I wouldn't have cast that person. So I get that. You know, there's going to be a lot of animosity. Yeah. And that's what I say. Like, it, that, that, look, it, it's, you could always dwell on the what if when it comes to like these adaptations of like who should have had the role, who should. Sometimes, kind of actually, you mentioned with Dark Tower, right? Sometimes we get who we fan casted for years, like Matthew McConaughey and The Man in Black, and look how that turned out. Like, not as good as we thought it was going to be, even though based based off the description of the novels and stuff, that should have fucking worked. You know what I mean? And if you've watched, you know, I know his agents try to act like the film doesn't exist, but if you watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Next Generation, there's a performance in that McConaughey that could have pulled that fucking Randall flag off, but apparently didn't. So like, it's always you know you're always going to have that battle of like, oh, you sure cast this person? Oh, you sure cast this person? At the end of the day, as long as the film's good and the and the people you do cast are good in it, I'm not going to care about the what ifs. I'll have that cool moment we always do where it's like, ooh, it would have been cool if so and so got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But as long as people that did do it are good in it, I don't ultimately give a shit. Like as long as what I see is good. Yeah, it's a good attitude to have, and I I try to have that. But then you know, I I tend to read the book and then watch the movie, and so it's like fresh, and I'm like. That wasn't in there. Or that should have been there. So it's like for me, it's impossible to avoid sometimes. Yeah, I, I get it. I just i I try to avoid doing that because I'm like, well, if I do it for King, I got to do it for all the adaptations that that exist. You know what I mean? Like, because you could sit there and nitpick like the fourth and fifth Harry Potter movies, right? And how thick those books are, and how much they had to take out to fucking make those films streamlined. To be fair, I do that all the time. But I also love those movies for what they are. Oh no, I love those movies for what they are. But you know, that's what I'm saying. It's like I could sit there and hone in on King, but then it's like, well, he's not the only one they do that to. It's the inevitable situation when you've read the book and seen the movie, or played the video game and seen the movie, or you know, read the comic book and saw the movie. Like you're gonna compare. It's just gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So if like if you can actively you know keep them as separate entities, great. If you can't, I get it. That's just you know people are gonna watch things the way they watch them. Yeah, well, as long as you're not that guy that 
we always make fun of the guy that goes the well actually <laughs> guy because that's the worst type of human being because at that point i don't care how much you fucking want your precious comic to be adapted exactly you've lost me <laughs> the weirdest part is when they inevitably push up their glasses even if they're not wearing glasses like a reflex yeah admittedly the comic book uh fans were kind of the worst with that one well actually in uh issue 144 of x-men you're like oh i don't give a shit i thought it was a good movie fuck me (laughs) (sighs) oh yeah well sorry steve that you didn't like christine maybe you'll like the next guy's take on it we'll see about see if it ever gets off the ground they announced brian fuller's take years ago Oh, yeah. I don't know if he's going to be too tied up with Crystal Lake or all the other shit he's announced since then. Well, Christine has an IMDb score of 6.7, Rotten Tomato score of 71%, audience score of 64%. Kind of lower. Respectable. Critics' consensus reads, the cracks are starting to show in John Carpenter's directorial instincts. <laughs> but Christine is nonetheless silly, zippy fun. Did you have some? Did you have silly zippy fun with this movie? Was was this zippy? <laughs> I wish we were like a visual so we could see the face I just made. First off, real quick to the critics, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you. What you're that crack? Well, actually, the cracks are about to be seen in John Carpenter. Fuck you, no crack. This is still a fucking phenomenal Carpenter film, in my opinion. Okay, now let's not talk about his 90s run onward, but. Well, they only say that because, you know, Escape from L.A. and, you know, Ghost of Mars happened. But if they did, you know, that's still a rude thing to say. Like, see, I knew he wasn't that good. Like, yeah. Why would, why would like, you say that? <laughs> yeah. First, that uh, first then Go fuck yourself. What a no. This is still Carpenter being a fucking master of his craft. Um. As for the zippy fun, I I had fun. I don't know if it was zippy or zappy or zany. I don't think I've ever walked away from any movie and thought, well, that was zippy. I don't even really know what that means. I was really zipped during this movie. Were you? (laughs) That's a fucking weird thing to to say. That's a a weird thing to describe anything as. And if you're going to do that, I don't want to know you. Because you're in, you're probably a weirdo in other avenues of your life. I, I, it's honestly starting to get really fun to read like the like the critical consensus on it because it's just like I love it. I, I wish yeah. we've been doing this the whole time. Yeah, because first you're taking a shot at like a director on a movie you should like. Now, had you p- applied this to like Ghosts of Mars or The Ward, maybe you have a little bit more footing to to stand on. Even then, it's still a fucking low blow, unneeded fucking thing to say. Um. Followed by like the weirdest description of it, like yeah, he it's literally them going like he's kind of sucking, but isn't this to be fun? Are we in the fucking fifties or something? Like what the fuck? <laughs> How do you do? How are you? I'm zippy today. Oh my god, <laughs> gee willikers, bud, aren't you just feeling zippy? We're a beaver. We're gonna go out there and throw the old pigskin right. Oh, weird. Uh, Christine was a modest hit, not well, grossing twenty-one million on a budget of ten million, so it made it made eleven million dollars. I mean, back then, modest hit. They didn't spend as much on marketing and things like that. So, yeah. 
What was the highest grossing film of 1983? Let's find out. What if it was Christine? What if that was the twist? <laughs> that would be embarrassing. Kind of. $21 million? We thought 2023 was a bad year. Oh, Return of the Jedi. That makes sense. That 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 tracks. Bet you will never guess number two, though. Um, I don't know. Fantastic Four, Roger Corman's version. I don't know. Tootsie. Tootsie? Tootsie, number two. Domestic box office. America really did embrace things. You know, I'm starting to understand Monster Sessi more and more when I look at like the highest grossing films of prior years. I'm like, yeah, we really were embracing of a lot of different types of films back then. We were. We were. Um, okay, so that was domestic. Number number one, global, still Return of the Jedi. Number two, Terms of Endearment. Okay. <laughs> it's, I, yeah, you know. Sessi's starting to make sense, which, look, my quick take on that, for those who are getting mad at him constantly attacking comic films, he's in his fucking 70s. He's never really been into them. And he kind of has a point. As we're seeing this year, big time. I know we all were like, fuck you. Why can't you just have fun? But now we're like, now we're seeing it. We're seeing what's going. He he knew what he was talking about. He foresaw this. And uh, yeah, sorry, Marty. Yeah. I'm not saying you have super films completely, but they cannot be just the box office. You need... Your auteur still, because we're getting not a good place in Hollywood, in my opinion, when it comes to that stuff. All I want is variety. All I want is options. I want to be able to go see like this superhero movie or this horror movie or this rom-com or this action movie. And I want them all to be given the same amount of effort and love so I can go see something good. That's all I want. Yeah. Instead of like the fucking same formula blockbuster that we've been getting like all year. I I'm I don't wanna yeah, I don't want it anymore. Yeah, we're getting we're getting close to having to do like our, our year end list, and I kinda of tell you like I'm gonna be having some issues with my top ten best. Not we, my worst. We might have to like we might have to drop it to a top five, Frank. I don't think I've I have ten awesome Man, movies I saw I, this I would, year. <laughs> yeah, I have to look at my letterbox, but I don't I don't know if I have ten. I definitely got some worst. I'm looking at a recent one for that worst. But uh <laughs> Best was best is gonna be tough. Yeah, for sure. Um, a remake was announced in 2021 from Blumhouse and Sony with Brian Fuller set to write and direct, but there has been zero traction on that since 2021. So I don't think that's even happening anymore. I it was like that was announced, zero traction. So I'm not I'm sure they're gonna be like, well, the strikes you announced it like two years for the strikes even went down. Um and I think since then, Brian Fuller like had announced the Crystal Lake series for Peacock. Um, and from what I understand, he's going back to that now that the strikes are over, or well, now that the writer strike is over. So I I have almost no hope that this is coming out. And honestly, kind of based off the Firestar remake, I'm good. Yeah, I don't want to see a Christine remake where it's like a fucking you know Tesla self driving car. Yeah, I don't want them to take the child's play approach. Yeah, it's like look. I, I think I made that comment to Josh. I'm like, you think they're going to do like a, a bad chip like in Child's Play remake for the remake? <laughs> like, we're going to really just make this not good. When I heard about their plan for the Cujo remake, I pretty I realized like, nope, anything is possible. They will fuck up any of his stories. For those of you who don't know, there was briefly, thankfully not anymore, there was briefly a Cujo remake considered where Cujo was an acronym that stood for Canine Unit Joint Operations. As in some kind of like... M- dog army <laughs> and that was gonna be Cujo. <laughs> we 
Why? Why? I don't know. I mean, oh god. Look, like I said, the Firestar remake wasn't any any indication of like let's take an okay at best eighties film. I'm no, I don't think Firestar. I again, I put Firestar kind of like the middle. I don't think it's the worst. I think it's the best. My second Um, viewing, I didn't like it nearly as much. It's it's pretty low for me now. Yeah, it 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 takes a while to get going. Mainly, it's. People thought this was slow paced. I thought Firestar was kind of slow paced. Great book, but, though. Great book. Yeah, and then what was it? It was Trotsky Scott, right? As a, as yeah. a fucking Native American. I'm air quoting right now. Oh, that was uh... that was wild. Um, eighties. Uh, <laughs> um, but they took essentially what was an okay original film and found a way to make it worse. Thank you, Blumhouse, for being the most fucking acclaimed yet schizophrenic horror studio in existence um so i don't want to know what they do with a beloved cult classic and be like how do we ruin this one now also i'm look we're doing this fresh off me saying exorcist so like one house i don't have a lot of faith in right now five minutes of freddy's better turn this shit around yeah you're 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 getting cynical and i don't like that we need like eli roth needs to get here now well, next month when Thanksgiving comes out, hopefully I'll be happy. Thanksgiving is going to be the the, the the tonic that brings you back. I like how I'm getting cynical and you're relying on Eli Roth. You're like, a director that I know he's going to like. Yeah, it's like he's never let you down. He knows what he's doing. It's, it's original horror. It's creative. It's going to be gory as shit. It's exactly what you need right now. <laughs> it's the cure for what ails you. What does it say about me that that's what I need right now? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, if you want to watch Christine for yourself, it's currently streaming on AMC+. Plus. I don't know who has that. I guess everyone watching Dead City. Uh, go check it out. Yeah, it bugs me it's on there, not Shudder. I'm like, you, AMC, you own Shudder. Shudder should have every horror movie ever made. It just should. Yeah, I mean now I got that in Screenbox, so it, I can kind of switch between the two. Sometimes I'll have some one will have the one something the other one doesn't, which is awesome. Yeah. And you've got that towering mountain of films behind you as well. Yeah, Josh was nice enough to order fucking the 4K of Christine, so it was like 17 bucks on Amazon, so I didn't have to like hunt it down. I just watched a 4K, which by the way looked very nice, looked beautiful. I'm still rocking the cheap Blu-ray I found at Best Buy once for like eight bucks, and the Blu-ray also looks nice. Oh, well, with that, let's talk uh, categories. Let's talk some some pieces of uh, Christine. Uh, where do you want to start? Scene, performance, music, or dialogue? I'll start with performance. Okay. And I, especially because I really want to talk about Keith Gordon, who I think is honestly really good in this movie. Yeah, compared to the rest of these shitters. <laughs> just Just referencing the movie. I don't think anyone in this is that bad. No, <laughs> <laughs> always forget about that. Um, no, I really he does a really good job of getting you like rooting for him when he's like the nerdy like that. And um, and honestly, also shout out to John Stockwell playing Dennis, his best friend. And why I said one of the things I like about this one was that it spends so much time with those two that again it gets king. It's like, hey, we need you to get behind these two characters for when when the car stuff starts happening. Well, well, actually, 
couldn't help it. Um, <laughs> there's a romantic subplot between Dennis and Lee in the book that I really, really wish had made it to the movie. Because, like, you know, Arnie's, Arnie is turned into an asshole by Christine, and she is, you know, he, he pushes her away. She goes to Dennis to cry about it, and they start hanging out, and they bond, and then they hook up, and, you know, Dennis feels guilty because he's, you know, feels like he's stealing Arnie's girl. Like, that would have been a would have been good for character in this movie. I wish that had made it. Yeah, I, I wish, but at the same time, with how it was paced, I kind of see why they said, like, drop that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is still at least enough implied that those two are going to end up together. Well, I mean, especially because Arnie dies <laughs> at the end of the movie. Um, so it's like, okay, they're probably going to get together because uh, Arnie literally has no shot. He's done. Yeah, can't date when you're dead. Um, yeah, Keith Gordon's great in this. I love his transformation from just, you know, bullied, nerdy, timid, scared, you know, probably abused kid to almost arrogant shit who doesn't take anything from anybody. Oh, yeah, dude. You have, like, the opening scene where he's, like, having to run and, like, drops the trash bag, you know, like, you're like, oh, God, this guy, this guy. And then, you know, like, maybe an hour in when he's changing, he has a scene where he, like, damn near strangles his dad. He's like, I'm gonna go to sleep and just walks off and you're like, holy shit. And he sells both of it very well. Uh, when he discovers Christine's been destroyed by Buddy and the idiots, and he just screams at Lee, like, you got what you wanted. You always were jealous of her. Like, Jesus, man. Like, yeah. Damn, Keith. Didn't know you had it in you. And the look on his face, like, even uh, Josh pointed out, like, he he has a genuine look of, like, you just killed, a, like, my mom or something. When he, he sees his real girl. Like, that's, you know, Christine's his girl. Lee's yeah. just hanging out with him. Lee's just there. Yeah, she's she's there, but Christine's who he really wants. Oh yeah, he's on a tech night. That car later for those of you who watched Gen V, totally got that reference. I haven't watched that episode, but I did read the comic bits about Tech Night, and I cannot believe they're actually putting him in the show. Yes, uh, certain parts do stay from the comics. Oh no, oh, Jesus! Yes, you need to watch that new episode. Um. <laughs> I will fuck. Uh, but yeah, Keith Gordon's amazing. If I had to pick an MVP for the movie, it's him. Yeah. Um, I like John Stockwell. It's just, you know, not a dick football player. Did he get fucking creamed in that one? Even I was like, Oh my God, that looked like it fucking hurt. I was like, Holy shit. Mm -hmm. There was somebody in my, in my grade who had a similar injury and was like, his femur split. Oh, I would rather die. I, I don't want to ever feel something like that. Yeah. But uh yeah, no, they're both really good. Like I said, Keith, I'll give you yes. For me, the MP would be absolutely Keith Gordon. But I think they are really good. Do you feel an actual really good chemistry? Like usually when you know movies love to put like a jock and then a nerd, and then you just send it running the whole time again. Like, there's no way these people are actually friends in real life. You feel that in this movie, like they have such good chemistry. You feel that regardless of their social standing in the school. They are best friends. It reminds me of like Bucky and Steve Rogers in the first act of Captain America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially that bully scene where he does stand up for him and even tells the teacher like, hey, he has a knife. Like he's defending him the whole time without question about it. Yeah. To a bully who looks like he's like 35 and probably held back seven times. And it 
When I first saw him, I'm like, I thought Bon Scott died in 79. What's he doing in this 83 movie? But yeah. he became an actor. Buddy is this just obnoxious, like the latest super evil, sadistic dick running high school. Stephen King had to, he was bullied in high school, wasn't he? He had to be. And uh, I was talking to Josh, but I was like, why is he like, why is Stephen King the most sadistic? I mean, he did. He, and yeah, I agree with him. He makes a good point. What I think it, I do like all joking aside about like his sadistic as fuck villains who he had had, like you said, a sadistic fucking bully in high school or something. Um, he gives you, if especially if you read the books more, more so than the movies usually. Um, Cause again, time and stuff, they can't really worry about that too much. He gives you so much reason when you read the books, why they're like that. They're never like this picture perfect. Like, you know, like Henry Bowers, obviously his more, one of his more well-known bullies, right? Henry Bowers, he wrote, He's like that because his dad's abusive. His dad's doing this shit to him. Like he he comes from a shitty home life and he's just taking it out on other people. Not saying it's right, but nine times out of ten, that is that is the case with a lot of bullies, is that they don't come from good home lives. Um and sometimes, yeah, they can get sadistic. Um I I don't think they all get as sadistic as King writes. But yeah, it's never just like stealing your stealing lunch money or like, you know beating you up in the playground it's always like hold him down i'm gonna carve my name into his chest yeah carve his name in his chest or like you know and, and stand by me like the dude's older brother that is adamant about like damn near killing those kids i'm like jesus christ Kiefer, yeah. calm down or you know you got like on the female side of this you got chris hargenson from carrie who just despises carrie for no reason other than she's weird and decides to ruin this chick's life and uh pays for it with a fiery car accident yeah yeah it's like why do you hit like why are you like this like how, who create how is a person like that created like, i i don't know but king had to have some either he got bullied or like he saw some shit when he was in school it his parent parental character is always kind of fucked up too yeah like i wonder like his childhood seems like it was rough it could have been it, yeah <laughs> who knows? i don't know yeah, I was like, now I think, yeah, because Mer and Bev's dad and and it had a lot of uncomfortable scenes. Yeah, Jack Torrance ain't exactly dad of the year. Uh, Carrie's mom, <laughs> you know, enough said. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And in this, in this, you know, in, in Christine, Arnie's parents are fucking manipulative dicks who just don't care about his happiness in the slightest they just like control every aspect or mom controls every aspect of that mm-hmm. house I like the mom's just a punching bag yeah i was like the mom controls everything and then dad just kind of i love the scenes when you try to say something and then she just speaks over him like god you fucking simp i'm not one of those to be like oh i'm not that jad like all that shit but sometimes you gotta call it as you see it and in that case calling it as i see it yeah. and that one time when he's you know he's like I want you to go apologize to your mother. And Arnie essentially, you know, goes, take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it felt like. And yeah, it's, it's, it's weird when, you know, parenting supposed to be a, a two person job, not, you know, you shut the fuck up and I'll, I'll handle this. Yeah. You just, as long as I touch, like, look, all you have is a hardly working dick to provide. So how about you shut up and go to the bedroom and pop that Viagra, you old fuck. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was a lot. Uh, you know that's something she's probably said to him, though. 
Um, Alexander Paul as Lee, uh, again, character who kind of got, didn't get as much development as she got in the book, but a decent character. You don't really get why she's with Arnie. He's kind of a dick to her from day one. I, that, I, dude, I pull that down to like what movies for some reason spent the longest time trying to tell us, which is if you're a dick to a lady, that means they'll like you. That was like a trope in films for years. Like, hey, if you're an asshole, they will come. And I mean that in many different ways. They'll come and then they'll come. Anyway, um, yeah, I agree. I don't get why all that's done is hurt a lot of a lot of potential relationships and made people like created personas that have just hurt people. Um yeah. what I hate is like whenever the nerd suddenly gets cool. All of a sudden, he no longer needs glasses. Yeah, like they they've been able to see the whole time. The glasses were an aesthetic choice. That bothers me so much because, like, when I had glasses, I needed them to to live. I could see absolutely nothing. I, I couldn't see an inch in front of my face without glasses. And these people were just like no longer necessary and just driving around with. Gla- I tried to drive without glasses. I would be dead in two minutes, and someone else would too. It's it's fucking crazy to me. I, I I will never understand that. It it bugs me. As someone who does like contacts and glasses usually, or I mean, you know, contacts during day glasses at night. It's like, yeah, I need these things to see. If I don't have them, I don't see. And there's no care. way Arnie got contacts because he's on his mother's health insurance and she would never let him do that because that is something that he wants. Oh yeah. So I'm just gonna assume Christine was able to give him the power of sight. I'll take it. Sure. Along with dressing up like a 50s greaser. <laughs> hey. Um, all right. I think we're good with the. Hmm? Oh, wait. Before we move on from performances, how dare you? We need to talk about Henry. Right? Henry or Harry? Jesus Christ. Harry Dean Stanton. You don't, you don't get to have your big moment anymore because you called him Henry Dean Stanton. <laughs> You almost went over him completely, so fuck you. <laughs> it's been a very I, long day for me. I think he's underused in this movie. I, I think, you know, he's he's good. This detective who at the end of it just decides, like, yeah, okay, killer car. I'll buy it. Like, I just like that. He he goes for it quick. He's like, all right, yeah, the car's alive. Sure. This is not the biggest priority on his desk. He just needs to close this. <laughs> he got handed this, and he was like, fuck, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, it really he has that vibe the whole time. And he's yeah, once Christine gets, you know, junked, he's just standing there with them like, How do you think you're gonna handle this? And I'm like, them, how are you gonna handle this? Like, how are you gonna spin this to the commish when he asks how you close that case? Yeah. Also, you gotta tell Arnie, you know, Arnie's parents that Arnie's dead. Like, are we not for forgetting that part there, buddy? Yeah, in the book, like they were dead first, and then he like they Christine got them first and then got Arnie. So like that was not necessary in the book, but in the movie, yeah, somebody's got to go notified next to Ken. And how are you going to explain that? Oh, his car killed him and then tried to kill his friends. <laughs> but don't worry. The friends killed the car. They didn't kill Arnie. Let's not get confused. They did kill the car though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just the motors under his breath. You know, none of this would have happened if you just let him park it in the driveway. I mean, it's true. I do like Dennis's like super like quick 
uh, witticisms towards Arnie's mom. <laughs> Thanks for the milk. <laughs> just leaves. I love that she's yelling at her son right in front of Dennis, and he's just like, kind of like, ooh, what should I stand over there? Like, what should I? I mean, that's awkward when you know you're at a friend's house and their mom's yelling at them. You just kind of be like, you just kind of got to stand there, like, uh, I'm not seeing any of this. <laughs> yeah, like you're just hoping not to get caught in the crossfire. It's like I'm just here right now. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Let's go to music. So obviously we've got an awesome score from Carpenter. Great music, always reliable there. But we've also got a really impressive soundtrack in a really creative way. The radio is how Christine talks to the to the characters. And uh, it's a good thing there's always 50s rock on the radio somewhere. But, yeah. Uh, it's not like it's got a CD player in there. Uh, Can you imagine, like, now, oh, I'm sure we'll get it if they ever come out with a Christine reboot. But one now, playing, like, a fucking, I don't know, like a metalcore song or something? I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> Some starts, song from the early 2000s. Starts blaring fucking break stuff. <laughs> Oh god, I would love to see like half the audience go no, or half be like, woo! I wouldn't know what happens next because I would walk out. I would be like, I'm, I'm in. Let's see how this plays out. We'd be doing the podcast on, it, and I'd be like, and at that point, I left. So the rest is yours. <laughs> Look, you got, you can't, you can't live your whole life forever denying the power of the backwards wearing, backwards red cap wearing Fred Durst. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the inevitable overdose story and then I'll be okay. Yeah, it'll be after you break stuff. It'll yeah. be one of those days. <laughs> God damn it. We'll be rolling, rolling, rolling. Fucking limp it. That would be a good song for the car, actually. That would be, yeah. <laughs> um, one of my favorite music moments is the transition from Christine on the uh, conveyor belt where Buddy Holly's Not Fade Away is playing. And then it transitions to 80s, uh, to the 80s with uh, Tanya Tucker's cover of Not Fade Away playing. And it kind of just seamlessly ev- like evolves into that. I thought that was a really cr- uh, great way to show a passage of time. Yeah, that was good. I dude, I had such a hard time picking. I wrote so much music right now because like you... Carpenter, I don't think he knows how to just go soft for a score. No, he's, that dude has been rock hard since 1976. <laughs> like, even like it's amazing how much he doesn't give a shit about really directing anymore. But like the Halloween trilogy, look, even for all the faults I have with like the the like the the last film, his scores fuck. In Dude, all three films. The procession from Halloween ends might be the best bit of music he's ever fucking made. Yeah, like oh. it he doesn't know how to just not half fast that. Like that's the one thing he cares about, and it's great. So it was so fucking hard because I'm like, God, this is another great carpenter score. Fuck me. And like you said, you mix with the fact that they make it to where the car talks by playing like essentially 50s rock. And I'm like, oh, and now they're doing like good music. <laughs> so of all the different fucking scenes I wrote, I I think for me the one that really got me going that made me go like, oh fuck yeah, all right, Carpenter, I'm I'm with you now, I'm hard with you, buddy. Was 
the scene when like Arnie is basically getting ready to tell the car like show me after he finds out he can repair itself and the fucking music as it's just picking up picking up picking up and he's walking away into the headlights and he turns around and goes show me and it just fucking then like the song actually plays as it's fixing itself and then when the headlights come in that fucking stinger the moment the headlights come on oh god what a goddamn scene what a goddamn moment it's epic uh for me it's when he when the car is chasing down uh the first bully the guy from animal house and uh like the pulsing like beat of that like that perfect chase sequence and then it corners him and it just crushes itself into the hole to to get that guy like yeah damn man get goosebumps yeah it oh god that Carpenter man, like oh god, his scores. I could just go on about his scores all goddamn day. I love how bitchy Christine is. Like how you know, like when it, it locks the doors and then plays uh, "Keep a Knockin" by Little Richard. Yeah, knocking, but you can't come in. Like fuck yeah. you. <laughs> I like when it it gets sassy and it won't start after he drops uh, Lee off. Yeah, I'm like, oh my god, Christine. Yeah, and he's like, come on, baby, you know you're my only one. And then it turns on. Yeah, I'm like, oh god, you you sassy little car, you. <laughs> I know it's cheesy, but I, I I love that they use George Thorogood's "Bad to the Bone" as like Christine's personal theme song. It's cheesy, but it's a hell of a way to kick off the movie and end it. Yeah, like the ending when the mirror just twitches and it's like, like that was fucking cool. Yeah, that's just a good song. Always get excited when I hear that song. I love the trick. The uh, the. Uh, fake out at the end with the boombox like when they're in the junkyard and the, they start hearing the music and they're like oh shit and then some guy wanders the corner with a boombox it's like oh yeah. thank god <laughs> Woo! and then we get the actual thing of it's still moving in the metal and I'm like see you should have just put that shit on fire or something no nah, that wouldn't do it like, oh yeah that's right put it in like acid or something melt it I would have dropped it in the ocean Oh, yeah, Christine will probably die that way. Yeah, acid's probably the best bet, but I want to see it. I want to see a like some scuba diver, some like you know, NASA deep sea diver sees a fucking Plymouth driving on the seafloor, <laughs> like the Mariana Trench. Yeah, it's like there's something weird on the radar, it's shaped like a like a Plymouth, and you just hear you keep a knocking, but you can't come in. Oh, I was gonna say, you start hearing bats of the bone start playing. Oh, that'd be better, that'd be better. <laughs> yeah, and then. Christine like rams into the fucking sub. <laughs> That'd be an awesome if they made a sequel. That's how I would have opened Christine too. If like I would have dumped it in the ocean and then I would have had that happen at the beginning of the second movie. Christine two fairy. I don't know something like that. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, good stuff. Great music choices here. Um, yeah, all, all hell of fucking John Carpenter when it comes to this goddamn him and a synth. Oh, he's yeah, he's the man. Even his worst movie, like I Ghost of Mars, is fucking ridiculous, but the music fucks. Yes, that's what I say. It, as I think, I, I look, I hope his music fucks in like the one episode he's directing of that new show. So I'm gonna get way too excited for that show if it does. It's gonna be the most like epic, pulsing, like super awesome music and. Probably be an okay show, but we're gonna be like, oh my god, it's amazing! <laughs> my god, uh, dialogue. So there's not a lot of memorable dialogue in the movie. 
It's a lot of just like, you know, look out or, you know, fuck you. But there's a couple good lines. Like one was, um, I'm still trying to figure out what this means. It's profound, but it's weird. So when Arnie tells his parents, has it ever occurred to you that part of being a parent is trying to kill your kids? Oh, yeah, when they're having a big fire in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And he just leaves with that chestnut. Just that they don't think about it at all, because then they immediately go back to wanting to yell at him. Yeah, they're just, you know, go to your room, mister. They don't they don't hear him as a person. He's a tool <laughs> for them to manipulate. We are your parents, and you live in this house until you go to college. <laughs> this is a great way to yell yourself right into a nursing home, guys. Yeah, I don't uh, look to all potential parents out there. Maybe think long and hard how you want to treat your children because one day they will have the power to put you in a nursing home if they don't want to deal with you. So maybe rethink how you treat your children. Yeah. Somebody once told me that, like, you know, be nice to your kids because they're the ones choosing your nursing home. And if you don't want bed bugs, be good. <laughs> and if you want to have a relationship, I stand by it that, like, if. I had a shitty relationship. I won't be talking to my parents. I didn't have that, luckily, but... Yeah. You cut out whoever you need to cut out to make your life better, regardless of whether or not they're blood. To me, blood and family are not the same thing. Yeah. So, moral lesson is, be nice to your damn kids. Yeah. Don't be don't be so goddamn controlling. And Steve, give me one positive parental relationship in your books. I just finished reading The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Terrible fucking parents, yet again. <laughs> They let their kid get lost in the woods. Like, you, no, bad. Apparently, there was a good family unit in Pet Cemetery. Before yeah, until tra- Dad decided uh, to raise the dead. Yes, but if you think about it, you kind of, again, I think what works about that is that King makes it where like, you kind of understand where he comes from, at least. He's so racked with guilt. And it's his kid. You kind of get it. But that's probably the only one that springs to mind where I'm like, no, I think they, if I recall correctly, they had actually a pretty solid uh, relationship. They were good parents. They had a uh, very clearly, very much in love for each other. I remember there was quite a bit of sex scenes in that book, more than I anticipated. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at my shelf now and I'm thinking like, yeah. no, no. I was going to say, Dark Tower, when they became a quartet. Yeah, when Roland, you know, after he let Jake die so he could get further to the tower. Yeah, then... after he became less of an asshole, yeah. Don't <laughs> yeah. forget that part. Like, they try to make him, like, clearly, like, still somewhat likable in the movie. I'm like, he kind of is an asshole in that first book. He let a kid die. It wasn't so after that day, his, his hard edges started to wear down. When the movie, he's like, I don't even care about the tower. I don't even want it. In the book, he's like, nothing matters more. <laughs> Like, why would you do that? Why would you swap his like only defining character trait out? Why? Ugh. I don't know. Well, hey, look, Mike Flanagan has laid the gauntlet down that he wants to do it. So, I hope we get the scene in. I think it was like the sixth book where they're in the real world, and Eddie goes to order a sandwich, and he gets mayonnaise on it, and Roland's like, "What's that?" He's like, "It's mayonnaise. Why are you ask it?" And then Roland's like, "I don't know. I just wouldn't order something on a sandwich. It looks so much like cum." And Eddie's like. Thanks for that, Roland. I'm going to go enjoy my cum sandwich now. Can you just le- go away? <laughs> it's such a weird moment, but it always made me laugh. I hope we get that. That would be nice. 
I was gonna say I hope you know plus with Mike Fanning you know that means we get Kate Siegel in in the ad- adaptation some capacity and I'm more than okay with that. Uh, I really hope this happens. I I want I, I need this. <laughs> I really when I heard he was like that's his next thing after like Usher comes out this week actually. Um, well now he's left Netflix and moved on to you know Prime picked him up. I was like oh my god yes. Yeah. He's already proven himself more than capable of taking on King and doing it right. So bring it on. Yeah. And primary cock teased me once with doing an adaptation and then was like, yeah, we're not doing it. So don't do it to me again, prime. Don't do it to me again. <laughs> uh, well, were there any lines that stood out to you? Uh, not anything super meaningful. Like what you put there, Mr. Fucking Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> Excuse me for trying. Continue. The one I put, well, see, the one I put just made me laugh because I was like, that really just came out of someone's mouth. Um, and that's the old guy when they're selling the car and he's like describing getting a vehicle. Oh, yeah. And he describes the smell. And in his words, and I quote, that is maybe the best smell in the world, except maybe for pussy. That's a lyrical genius, in my opinion, and I stand by how fucking hilarious it was to hear that and not and go, wait, did he really just he just say that? And also, you're old, dude. I'm going to say right now, it doesn't always smell great. I'm Um, not talking about the car. (laughs) Well, in movie world down there, clean down there, ladies in movie world, it smells amazing every time. Apparently, actually, look, I'm not going to talk about it. All people, if you want to have sex, clean down there. Just soap and water. That's, Don't be smelly. You know, that's just good life advice. You yeah. Know. Soap, soap your soap your shit. Yeah. Don't be smelly. If you want to abide by this old man's saying, keep make you know. Don't clean it. Yeah. Clean your ween and. I can't think of a rhyme for for the for the vagina, but you know what? Clean that. Me I just really thought that was a funny line, and as my PSA is, hey, go out there, have good, healthy, consensual sex, and clean. I love how casually he just says that to a bunch of teenagers. Yeah, right. Just, just like, and I'm sure they'll they'll think I'm so cool if I say this. And I'm like, did he just say that? And then Arnie repeats it later, which is even weirder. It is. And funny, I was like, as soon as I heard it, Josh knows me. I was like, oh, I, I had my phone over in my hand. I was like, oh, I'm writing that down. I was like, that line is not going past this. this these ears. <laughs> yeah. Good, good pick there. Uh, I don't really have any other lines, honestly. Like the, the screenplay is not really the strongest aspect of this movie. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I had, I put one just because I thought it was so dumb. And that's like when that, that jock, when they were talking about Lee, uh, the I guess like Dennis's jock friends that very openly hate fucking Arnie. Um and at one point, like in his way to describe what he wants to do to Lee, and it just gave me a good laugh was he was like, I want to have deep, meaningful sex with her. I'm like, why would you word it like that? Just say it, man. You want to fuck her. Like <laughs> you're not wooing her. This is on ancient times. I want to buy her flowers on our 20th anniversary. That's what I want. Yeah, I'm like, no, we know what you want. You want to pump and dump and leave, all right? 
<laughs> Jesus Christ. So don't kid yourself there, fucking <laughs> Shakespeare. <laughs> God. Um, okay, scenes. Um, I love every scene where Christine fixes herself. That was done so, so well. They did it by uh they hydraulically had it like crushed inward and then filmed it and then filmed it in reverse and put it in the movie, and it looks flawless and just so neat. Yeah, dude, like that's that was everything like everything about that one scene I described with like the music playing when it fixed itself. No. That music mixed with that scene. Holy shit. Watching it like fix itself and like I said, seeing it do that for the first time, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. For nineteen eighty three, that was like one of maybe the best visual effect of the year. Uh I love the um the drive in scene where he goes out with Lee on that date and she's like, I don't like this car. And he's like, Well, fuck you. Yeah, go <laughs> in the rain then. And then like she starts choking on the on the burger and Christine lights up like, Ah, I got you, bitch. And Arnie's like, Let me add and she yeah. really thinks she's gonna die. It's it's a well done scene. Like, and then Christine's like, All right, everybody gets one and lets Arnie in. Yeah. I do like how Christine was like, Oh, you're gonna talk shit about me? <laughs> You're inside me right now, bitch. You're in my world. Welcome <laughs> to the Christine Dome. <laughs> uh, I really like the scene when it chases Buddy down and the fucking shot of like the car on fire coming out of the gas station and chasing him down. Holy fucking shit. Give critics again. Fuck you. John Carpenter is a goddamn genius. Holy shit. Yeah, that is an incredible visual. And that motherfucker had it coming. I love oh, it. Like, there's no like really like big moment of his death either. Christine just like runs his ass over and keeps going. And you just see his corpse on fire burning to death burning to death in the road. It's like, yeah. That's that's yeah. gonna be your that's your epitaph. Got run over yeah. by a sentient fiery car. Yeah, I I loved it. I, you think he was the one that shit on the dashboard? Yes. We never got confirmation on who specifically shit on the dash dashboard. I would bet money it was him. The yeah. leader of the leader always gets to have the shit. This is true. You think it was a a gross shit too? It wasn't like a. I think it was to to reference something that we were talking about prior to recording. I think it was a Duke in Josh's bedroom kind of shit. And that is a joke only you and I get to have. <laughs> we'll make Josh listen to this episode just so he can hear that. He'll get it. He'll get it. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, that's so gross to think of in the PTSD. I now have thinking about that. <laughs> Shit. Uh, so, yeah, those are. Yeah, those are the those are the scenes I, I picked. Um, I. I really like the scene in the. um in the warehouse in the uh, garage where they, you know, where Arnie randomly gets killed and Lee and uh, Dennis take down Christine with the bulldozer. That's a, that's a good fight. Yeah. I like the part where the car shots rebuild itself. And like, uh, Dennis is like, son of a bitch. <laughs> like the moan of just purge is like, you gotta be kidding me right now. I mean, nobody really takes a moment to realize like we are fighting a living car that is coming that's rebuilding itself in real time no one ever has a moment of like this is how is this happening <laughs> yeah why are we how um i did also put down like the instruction to uh the said bullies um 
was actually a really good scene. Again, yeah. you get that classic Stephen King bully that, of course, they have a fucking switchblade. They're um, like 20 years older than everybody else. They have a switchblade and they are ready to use it. Yeah. They're, they're openly being violent in front of a fucking teacher. Um, but again, also great character development, like I was talking about earlier with Dennis and, and Arnie, because you see how good of a friend Dennis really is. It's not just like, yeah, you're my friend, but it's a shame to be around him. It's like, no, I'll fucking defend you if I have to. Yeah, you're my buddy. I don't know why, but you're my buddy. Yeah, because I do like how he was like willing to go fucking. He was willing to fight Buddy for Arnie. Like, hey, leave him the fuck alone. Let us get out of here. And there's that teacher who's like, oh, you know, three on one, real, you're a real man. Like, you know, I'm about to be a teacher, and I'm pretty sure I can't just do that. I wish he could. Honestly, I was with that teacher. Like, he kind of had a point. Like, oh, real man. I look. That's the thing with bullies, man. Like. Yeah, you're a real man if you can have your you and your cohorts beat up on one guy. Oh, okay. Real tough, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like in the, you know, in the 80s, teachers, like outside of like stand and deliver, there is no good movie teacher. Everyone's just a dick. Yeah. They're just tired of the kids there. They are. Dead Poet Society. Also, I forgot that was the 80s. So it's Edward James Olmos and Robin Williams, and then everyone else is an asshole. That's the rule. <laughs> uh, deliver. Well, that's. Uh, are there any other scenes you want to want to spotlight, or should we move on? That is, I believe, all. All I had. Yes. Okay. All right. That's all I had. Well, I really want to make sure we did not. Not talk about the fucking car fire scene because goddamn was that amazing. That was fuck. I don't know if Mondo's ever done a poster of this movie, but that needs to be the basis for it. Yeah, I mean that is just amazing. I do like the after effect when the car comes back to the shop and the Darnell should not have seen what was going on. Yeah, oh, that character. So he's like he's like helping Arnie out, but like the second Arnie's like thanks, he's like shut the fuck up, don't you talk to me. Such a strange character. He really is. I do like when like he tries to Arnie. There's no smoking here, and don't and not Darnell. Uh, Dennis is like, yeah. aren't they smoking over there? Like real quick. He's like you want to fuck this up for your friend? <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> yeah, weird. And then yeah, he he, he bites it in Christine because he saw too much. He saw too much. Yeah, I love how Christine at first just tries past him. Like look. It's almost like Christine was like, look, if you just go home and don't say anything, I'll leave you alone. Just let me let me repair myself. I'm in a lot of pain right now. I was on fire. Oh, I kind of want a Christine that speaks in full sentences so it can it can say that. Be like, look, dude, not tonight. Okay. It's been a, it's been a night. <laughs> can we just not, please? Oh, you're you're trying to open my door? God damn it. All right. You know what? Get the fuck. Get, Get in here. You're not going to like how this goes anyway. <laughs> ah, all right. Well, with that, let's take a look at what Letterboxd has to say on our final segment, What's in the Box? What's in the fucking box? 3.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Pretty good. High praise. Yeah, it's high praise. Um, <laughs> I've got all positives here. Uh, four positive reviews. Because all the negative ones were just like, 
boring and all that. There's nothing, nothing creative. Fucking slacking on Letterbox, you assholes. <laughs> Be angrier, damn it! Get, get, get creative. I know there's a lot of real world shit going on, but I need you guys to channel that into Letterbox reviews. Well, this first one's from Patrick Willems. I respect this movie's commitment to trying to make the insult shitter happen. Three and a half stars. Arnie really does keep trying to make that happen, and everyone just kind of ignores it. <laughs> no one, no one pays like, attention. Like fetch for Mean Girls. Like it's not going to happen. I, we needed that moment where it's like shitter's not going to happen, Arnie. So stop it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. This next one's from Todd Gaines. Dork loves car. Car loves dork. Future Baywatch babe loves dork. Car gets jealous. Greaser bullies hate the dork and the car. Car gets even. Dork's best friend tries to help. All hell breaks loose. Carpenter's score is pitch perfect. It creeps up on us at the right times during some fun chase scenes. New car smell is the second best smell known to man. And the moral of the film is don't shit on Christine. Four stars. Well, I keep going back to shit. It's been the topic of discussion tonight, hasn't it? <laughs> it really has. I think the key was, of all the things they cut out of the book, I think they could have been fine also cutting out the shitting on the dashboard. No, that's personal. That's when Christine's like, these fucks have to die. So I'm sure she was like, I'm just going to cripple these guys. But the second they took a shit on her, it's it's, it's murder. I would love like the idea of, like again, going back to like, it could be speak for sentences. It's like, all right, look, guys. I'm hurting right now. I wasn't expecting this. I will just cripple you. Hey, wait, wait. What, what are you doing? What, what, hey, don't, don't you lift those pants down. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, God. Just picturing Christine, like, looking up at a just gaping asshole and just being like, no. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, this next one is some haunted hippie. Boy meets car, boy fucks car, car fucks everybody up. A classic love story. Three and a half stars. I agree. <laughs> so every love story starts and ends. Yeah. Like Dennis, I'm like, I wanted Dennis at one point to just narrow his eyes at Arnie, lean in, take a big like inhale, and just say, You fucked that car, didn't you? And Arnie's just like, no. Like, super unconvincing. <laughs> he runs off. I will shit on this dashboard later because of it. He got second degree burns on his dick from the tailpipe. Jesus Christ. Where else Where, you, where else are you going to fuck a car? It's a fucking toxic Avenger dick or something. A gas tank? Like, where would you Where would you put it? I mean, gas tank is an option for some people, probably. Tailpipe makes more sense. Gas tanks, like, gas tank is anal. Sorry, it's like 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 actual anal. It's not always uh on the menu. Yeah, you gotta gotta wait till your birthday or something. Gotta wait for the special day. Damn it! Oh boy, this last one I just really liked. This uh, this is from Catherine Stebbins. Every time I rewatch a John Carpenter film, it feels like I'm watching an iteration of the medium that simply no longer exists. Forever the greatest movie, five stars. And it's true. Carpenter, is, his films feel ethereal, like, like we're watching movies from another dimension, almost. 
it's he, he's got this a very distinct tone and, and feel and vibe that no one else had and mm. his his stuff stands alone it really does and for me dare i say his films are almost cozy like yeah. i can put one on like bundle up in my bed and then i'm i am having a great night just hearing the music and the cinematography the shot kind of, like everything he does just like i can just get all cozied up and just enjoy um there it's a weird thing they're just like he makes very cozy films as well he does he, longevity and just yeah they're you know like the thing is probably my favorite and i'll just you know i'll throw that on from time to time and just disappear for a while it's nice yeah it's amazing no one else has that really you know every every auteur has their like style but carpenter had he tapped into something different i don't know what it is it's hard to explain but if you know you know yeah it's it's like once you really like get into his work like you can start to tell like this is a john carpenter film it, it's very noticeable it's he there really is like no there's there is and will never be has anyone quite like him when it came to directing films um and, you know obviously i'm saying a lot of this kind of excluding a lot of his later work thinking like ghost of mars onward but when you know but i mean again and every director has a i don't know any I I really can't think of a single director that has a fucking flawless track record. They always have maybe at least one film you're not as on board with as the others. Um, um, but man, when you know a good director at the end of the day, you know I know we've talked about it before way back on the old format with legacy and all that stuff. As far as I'm concerned, it's how do you how a director is when they hit and Carpenter was on another fucking realm in my opinion when when he hit like it just you couldn't you couldn't touch him i think i dare i say he may have just been too ahead of his time for critics to be on board with yeah um, it's because it took them years to catch up luckily horror fans were pretty much on board from the beginning until this very day um and yeah like i said i all i know i joked about him a lot <laughs> you know his very funny you know his his old man stance if you will nowadays but the man is still like one of my fucking idols when it comes to horror. I I fucking love John Carpenter so much and what he's given to cinema. And I'm sorry, but Craig's can go fuck yourself. His legacy will continue to be one of the most unmatched legacies in American cinema. Yeah, the guy gave us Michael Myers and Snake Plissken. That's enough for you know a lifetime, but then he kept giving us more. Yeah. Jack Byrne is a goddamn American hero. R.J. McCready, motherfucker. Mm. Dude. And then, of course, you know, I mean, he didn't technically give us Christine. Stephen King did. But, you know, he, he, yeah. he translated. He he went and bought the car. He bought the car. He gave us the immortal line. I have come here to kick gas and chew bubble gum. And I'm all out of gum. Ah, oh, I haven't seen They Live in a long time. I gotta watch that. I have the 4K. I keep meaning to put it on because it's been forever since I watched it. I got the Shout Factory Collector's Blu-ray. I wanted. To, mm-hmm. I gotta just take a couple hours, just sit down and watch They Live for the first time in like 20 years. Yeah, they have a lot of fucking carpenters. I've been that's how I've been really being able to beef up my carpenter collection is thanks to them. Yeah, I've got from them The Fog, Prince of Darkness, The Thing, Assault and Precinct 13. Uh, Big trouble. Not I don't have their big trouble, my mistake. But yeah, I I still see I still got something to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I got a lot of their shit. I need. I I know they're doing their song. I need to look to see if they have. I'm I meant to get some back when they did it for his birthday song. And I fucking forgot. But well, happy fortieth, Christine. This was a blast. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or send us a message through the socials. Check out our letterbox accounts for daily reviews. If you search for me at Connor95 and in my friends list, you can find the rest of the team. Check out the website, filmgasm.com, where I have a link to that letterbox. You can also find articles, trailers of upcoming films, and every episode of our show. If you'd like to become a monthly donor to Filmgasm Productions, click on the link in the episode description. From there, click on Support This Podcast. You can choose to donate a dollar a month, $5 a month, or $10 a month, and all donations go right back into the show. Thanks to the entire Filmgasm team for their contributions. Thanks to Cooley Cow for our awesome theme music. Thanks to you for checking it out. The anniversary spotlight continues next week with one of the original Universal Monster Classics that's celebrating its 90th anniversary this year. 1933's The Invisible Man a horror classic that follows the misadventures of scientific genius Jack Griffin, who develops a serum that turns him invisible, but also drives him completely insane and murderous. Sure to be a fun episode with a movie monster that I believe has the highest body count of all the classic Universal monsters. This guy's killed more than Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman combined. Yeah. I've seen the Invisible Man. The, The remake. Sorry, heard a weird noise. I've seen uh, the original Invisible Man, and yeah, I I, I know spe- specifically what people are talking about when they say he has the highest body count. Yeah, that movie like pushes pushes the envelope pretty far for 1933. I was, I was, yeah. Well, we, I mean, we're gonna say when we do that episode, but I yeah, I remember watching the first time going, wow, they they pushed a lot more than I thought they would in this movie. Ninety years old. It's gonna be really fun to tackle a Universal movie monster. We haven't done one in a long time. Uh, in the meantime, take it easy, keep watching movies, and we'll see you next time.